0: To take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. During a visit to Cape Canaveral to inspect the space shuttle, Prince Philip was introduced to a young 13 year old boy, Andrew Adams. Andrew told Prince Philip that it was his ambition to be an astronaut. Prince Philip looked him up and down and said to him, well, you'll never fly in it. You're too fat to be an astronaut. You could do with losing a bit of weight. Just the sort of remark that got a lot of people who couldn't laugh upset. But, you know, you really do just have to laugh at some of the outrageous things that Philip said. Prince Philip started carrying out engagements as the royal consort after Her Majesty Elizabeth became the Queen. That was back on 2 March 1948, when he was 37 years old. He performed his last solo engagement on 2 August 2017, 69 years later. Over those years, Prince Philip carried out 22,219 solo engagements. I don't know how many he carried out with Queen Elizabeth or other royals but the number would have to be staggering. Even in his retirement year when he was 96 years old he was still one of the most active members of the royal family rendering public service. So in my book Prince Philip can say anything he damn well likes and unless you've given as much service to the public as he has, I don't care what you think about him. In this program, I'm going to explore more of the fascinating life of Prince Philip. A lot of romance and fantasies surround the abdication of King Edward from the throne of England, so that he could marry the love of his life, Wallace Simpson. More about that story later in the program. At 2.40am... Why are most babies such early risers? On 21 April 1926, the first child from the union of the then Duke and Duchess of York, in a few years to be unexpectedly King George Sixth, but then known as Albert or Bertie to his family and close friends and his wife, their first child, a daughter, to be named Elizabeth, was delivered. She was named Elizabeth, but like so many young children, when first learning to speak, the name Elizabeth was way beyond her. Her best effort did, however, produce the entirely original name Lilibet. Winston Churchill first met the young Elizabeth on 25 September 1928, when she was just seven years old. He wrote to his wife Clementine his first thoughts on this meeting with the future Queen Elizabeth, who he would serve many decades later as Prime Minister. Uh, she is a character. She has an air of authority and reflectiveness, astonishing in an infant. Public image and reality, even back in 1936, were often two different things. Prince David, better known today as Edward, the name he chose when he became king, The Prince of Wales was a popular figure. He was funny, witty, etc. But that hid the reality. His father, King George V, just before he died, had told the British Prime Minister, Stanley Baldwin, that he predicted, "'After I am dead, the boy will ruin himself in 12 months.'" King George V died on 20 January 1936. Edward, whose christened name was David, now took the name Edward as the name he would be known by as King. Although he became king, there was never a coronation, and a good thing too. What a waste of money that would have been. David, soon to be known as Edward, when he took the throne, was already entwined in a passionate relationship with, with the twice-divorced Wallace Simpson. Wallace had taken a strong dislike to Bertie's wife, the future King George VI, Elizabeth. Wallace called her the fat Scottish cock. The young Princess Elizabeth, at 16, when asked by her sister Margaret what was going on with their Uncle David, told her, I think Uncle David wants to marry Mrs Baldwin, and Mr Baldwin doesn't like it confusing the Prime Minister Baldwin and his opposition to the marriage with the man who Mrs. Simpson was then married to. Mrs. Simpson was a woman of low morals and throughout her life was rumoured to have had many a sexual liaison. One that surely would have raised an eyebrow at the time was the story that she was having an affair with Joachim von Ribbentrop, who was the then Nazi ambassador to London that ex-Champagne salesman was perhaps one of the first disturbing dalliances that Edward had with the gangster elite of Nazi Germany. On 16 November 1936, King Edward told the British Prime Minister Baldwin that he was going to marry Wallace Simpson. The Prime Minister said that because the wife of the king automatically becomes the Queen of England... The British people had a say in his plans, and those plans were unacceptable. On 10 December 1936, having been the king for a mere 326 days, not nearly quite as long as his father had expected, Edward abdicated. Elizabeth's father, King George VI, was now the king of England. In just one year, England had had three kings – The trajectory for Elizabeth's life was now radically and unexpectedly changed forever, just as Philip's was to be. But let's get back to one of those great quotes that made Philip so famous, or infamous, depending on your point of view. This one happened after Philip arrived in Canada from England after a long jet flight. One of the local dignitaries who greeted him asked one of those wonderfully stupid questions that people ask. Most of us are too polite to give an appropriate answer, but Philip never had that problem. What was your flight like, your Royal Highness? Philip replied, have you ever flown in a plane? The dignitary replied, oh yes sir, many times. Philip then went in for the kill, having set him up beautifully. Well, it was just like that. School time was over for Philip. He wanted to join the Royal Air Force, but his uncle, Dickie Mountbatten, steered him into joining the Royal Navy. To get into the Navy, Philip had to sit and pass the Civil Service exam to become a Special Entry Cadet at the Naval Academy at Dartmouth. Dickie Mountbatten, after the death of his older brother George, who had died at an early age from cancer, had become the mentor to Philip at the request of Philip's mother, Alice, and his father, Andrea. Mountbatten was a man described as having ferocious ambition and talent, in my opinion anyway, from what I've read about him, that was much less... Mountbatten was married to the wealthy but unfaithful heiress Lady Edwina Ashley. But the marriage to such a wealthy woman meant that Dickie Mountbatten had the money and the social connections to groom Philip into being the perfect suitor to win the heart of the Princess Elizabeth. Notwithstanding Dickie Mountbatten's personal ambitions for power, which he was hoping to realise through Philip, The relationship between Mountbatten and Philip nevertheless grew into a very warm and genuine father-son type connection. Dickie Mountbatten had been a close friend and advisor to Edward, but following Edward's fall, he quickly switched his loyalty and service to King George VI. In Philip, Mountbatten saw an eligible bachelor who would make a perfect match for the young Princess Elizabeth. and give him more power as the mentor of the consort to the Queen. It was an older Princess Elizabeth who now met Dartmouth Naval Cadet Philip for the second time in her life on 22nd July 1939 during an official visit attended by King George VI, the Queen, the Princess Elizabeth and the Princess Margaret. Dickie Mountain Batten organised for Philip to look after the two princesses during the visit. To rescue the two princesses from the tedium of the royal visit, cadet Philip took them off to play croquet and tennis so they could have some real fun. Philip leapt over the nets and the Princess Elizabeth wrote to a friend admiring how high he can jump. It is with such physical displays that some young men are able to woo women, not my talent. Elizabeth's recollection of this first meeting was recorded thusly. The first time I remember meeting Philip was at the Royal Navy College, Dartmouth, in July 1939, just before the war. We may have met before at the coronation or the Duchess of Kent's wedding, but I don't remember. I was 13 years of age and he was 18 and a cadet just due to leave. So that's one of Elizabeth's early recollections of meeting Philip. The visitor over, the Royal Family, returned to the Royal Yacht. Philip and some of the other cadets, in a display of youthful enthusiasm, grabbed some rowing boats and took off in pursuit. Some heavy weather soon blew up and all of the cadets, except for Philip, who was driven by passion, turned back. Philip. Kept pursuing the yacht until King George noticed him. He said, the "Young fool, he must go back." The king may not have been impressed, but the princess Elizabeth had watched his pursuit through a pair of binoculars, and she was definitely even more impressed with this young man than she already was. There's no doubt the young teenager, Princess Elizabeth, had quickly fallen for this dashing. 18-year-old Adonis that Philip looked to be to her. From that day of the royal visit to Dartmouth, as far as she was concerned, he was the one for her. Her family did not agree. Philip graduated from Dartmouth as the top of his class. Pretty impressive stuff. He was no pampered royal. His Scottish education especially made sure that he was built to have a real life of hardship, if need be. Time for another of Prince Philip's quips during a visit to Canada with the Queen, maybe the same one I spoke about earlier. While in a boat crossing to Vancouver Island, stormy weather caused a little too much turbulence in the Royal boat. Just at that moment, a young naval officer went to serve afternoon tea to the Royals. The tray of cakes he was carrying crashed to the floor. Philip helped him pick them up. Then Philip sat back down with one of the rescued cakes. As he sat next to his wife, he said, "'I've got mine. Yours are down there.'" On 1 September 1939, Adolf Hitler, the Reich Chancellor of Germany, that was his title. Remember that, because in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you something funny that depends on you knowing that. So don't forget it, right? Anyway, Hitler, the consummate gambler, played his hand and invaded Poland. And this time, his bluff was called by England and France. World War II had started. 60 million people who were alive on that day would be dead when the war ended in August 1945. Still, it could have been worse. You could have been in communist Russia or communist China where they killed more of their citizens without the need for a global war, just because of political differences of opinion. Philip had just finished his training as a naval officer. He was keen to taste some action, but he was a Greek-slash-German-slash-Danish citizen and not a British citizen. He was assigned to the British battleship HMS Ramillies as a neutral foreigner. He was keen to get his British citizenship so that he could fully serve his chosen country. The commander of HMS Ramillies was Vice Admiral Harold Tom Bailey Groman. Philip told him that he was keen to become a naturalised British citizen so that he could fully serve in the Royal Navy. He also told the Admiral that his uncle, Dickie Mountbatten, has ideas for me. He thinks I could marry Princess Elizabeth. The Admiral was, uh, to say the least, surprised at this revelation. He asked Philip if he was really fond of her. Philip replied, Oh yes, very. I write to her every week. When the Germans defeated France and the invasion of England seemed to be just weeks away, Winston Churchill wanted to have the royal family evacuated to Canada. King George would have none of it. He and his family were going to stay and share the dangers with the people they ruled. He made it clear to Churchill that he would fight Nazis to the bitter end. When Churchill appreciated the real determination of the king to remain he had a Thompson M1928 submachine gun known to gangsters as the Tommy gun sent to Buckingham Palace for the King's personal use. The King was apparently very impressed and very excited to be in the possession of such a weapon. Not long after France fell to the Germans, the German air force, the Luftwaffe, started attacks on England culminating in nightly aerial bombing attacks on British cities, especially in London, that was known as the Blitz. The King and Queen went out into London and other bombed cities to see the devastation and to share the pain of their people. The royal family were never strangers to what their people were suffering. Funnily enough, probably one of the happiest moments for the Queen came when Buckingham Palace was bombed on 13 September 1940. The Queen said that now she felt that she could look the people of the East End, where the main weight of the German raids were being felt, she could look them in the eye. In 2003, Prince Philip was unveiling a plaque at the Hatfield campus at the University of Hertfordshire. During his speech, he said, During the Blitz, a lot of shops had their windows blown in and sometimes they put up notices saying, more open than usual. I now declare this place more open than usual. What a contrast there was between the British royal family and the new leader of Germany, Adolf Hitler. Although Hitler's most loyal and certainly his most educated follower and his minister for propaganda... Joseph Goebbels urged Hitler many times to go to the German cities that had been smashed by the bombing of the Allied forces to boost the morale of the people there. Hitler never once did. He refused to face up to the misery that his actions were inflicting on the German people. On 9 November 1943, the King and Queen visited the RAF base at Tempsford near Bedford. A display of the weapons that were being made for use by agents that the British were flying into occupied Europe was shown to them. I guess you would say that they were made by the World War II equivalent to James Bond's armourer, Q. One of the weapons on display was exploding horse manure something that would also have been dear to the heart of the Princess Elizabeth. The love of horses was something that went on to be shared by her daughter, Princess Anne. Another one of Philip's quotes about his daughter is, if it doesn't fart or eat hay, she isn't interested. Which brings me to the final gaff, a great one by Philip and appropriate for today's programme. In 1997, after the fall of the Soviet Union, the prince met the German political leader, the Chancellor, Helmut Kohl. Philip greeted him, calling him Reich Chancellor. The last man to hold that office had died by his own hand in his bunker in Berlin on 30 April 1945, Adolf Hitler. The error was not commented on at the time. I have a sneaking suspicion that this was no mistake by Philip. With the war well and truly getting underway, Philip was now to go on to have a very distinguished career in the Royal Navy. But that is for my next program. Thanks for joining me, Paul, in The Danger Zone. If you liked this program, you will definitely really like my other program, CYKIAE.